Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. As always, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is BJ Colangelo, and I am here with the wonderful, super fantastic coolness, remarkable, my co-host and my wife. Harmony Colangelo, and I love that you have to take a pause to think about which words have I not overused yet. We're only in episode three, and I guarantee that I've overlapped something. I should just come up with a new adjective each week instead of trying to stack a bunch of them. That's your homework? That's going to be my homework. Gotcha. In addition to (laughs) watching these movies and finding fun information to share, I'm now going to, you know, buy a thesaurus. You don't need to buy one. They have online ones. You know what? That's true. They do have online ones. We We are in the future. That is very true. So we hope that you've been enjoying our first two episodes. Uh, Today we are doing something a little different. We are going back to a teen movie that came out when neither of us were alive. And it's one that also has to deal with uh, the the politics of a different teen experience, um, teen boy um, politics, but through the lens of a female character. Today we are talking about just... One of the guys. I mean, it's as if women's lib never existed. Today's woman has the freedom to be just as sick and perverted as us guys. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I write an excellent article, and just because I'm cute, no one takes me seriously. It's not fair. And yet somehow you find the courage to go on living. You got guts. Sometimes I just wish I were a guy. No, you don't. The male body needs sex at all times. It's a living hell. For those who have never seen Just One of the Guys, the story is this. When Terry Griffith, played by Joyce Heiser, loses her high school's writing competition, she's convinced that it's because she's a girl. So Terry decides to change high schools and pose as a boy to prove her point. Her brother, Buddy, played by Billy Jacoby, helps her pass as a guy so well that she is soon making friends with the boys at school, including the attractive Rick, Clayton Rohner, who becomes her new best friend. But her gender swapping makes things difficult when she falls in love with him. So Harmony, what was your first experience or your beforehand knowledge of just one of the guys? The irony of not being born when this movie came out is... So far, this is the one I have the most nostalgia for. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so tell me about it. Tell me why you have nostalgia for this. Um, do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, what can you share? I could not tell you the exact like year. I can say safely it was probably like right after high school maybe. Okay. And it used to run semi-regularly on VH1 Classic in reruns, which meant like, you know, one of the best scenes in the movie is edited mm-hmm. amongst a few other things, like uh, Bud's whole room. Was it just like a giant blur at yes. that point? Yes, there was a l- just full blurs. For for those at home who either are not sure what we're talking about or may have not uh, remembered this particular trait, which I'm not sure how you couldn't because they bring it up multiple times, but Bud's room is just plastered in Playboy centerfolds and... At some of these angles, there's some really clever hiding of uh, of the nether regions, and then in some frames, it doesn't. It's just straight up bush, right up in your face. Yeah, which like as perverted and skeevy as a character as Bud is painted as, mm-hmm. even like humorously, mm-hmm. Playboy is the classy one. Like by <laughs> by that point in the '80s, like Playboy was starting to get a little dirty, but like he should be going for Hustler or Penthouse if he wants to see like the raunchy stuff. But then again, he is the man who. Constantly attests that, oh, well, she reads Vonnegut in the tub, and <laughs> right. this one cares about environmentalism while she's butt-ass naked. Yeah, if he's if he's going to jerk off to a bunch of women, he's going to make sure that they are, they are classy and well-read women, which, you know... I mean, that's how I am. <laughs> if, if, that, if, that's what, if that's what gets you, then that's what gets you, and, and good on you for that. So, okay, so VH1 Classic. I, I used to always have like a running joke with the VH1 Classic is that um, I was part of a Rocky Horror troupe for a while, and in one of the opening sort of lines, the, the place that I, I used to go to all the time, it was like, if you've uh, only seen this movie before on like a DVD, that's masturbation. If you've seen it on VH1, then it's a crime. Um, because yeah, the editing, when things make the jump over to like, like a standard cable network, it's, it's like the digital bras that they add to showgirls. It's just wrong. <laughs> I never even knew that they put Rocky Horror on TV. Oh, I, yeah. as a child of the mid-2000s, or a teen of the mid-2000s, illegally downloaded Rocky Horror from LimeWire for my first viewing. Oh, LimeWire. Back when we were all so young and didn't fully understand exactly what it was we were doing by just acquiring media without the consent of the artists. Oh, no, I knew. <laughs> Lars made it very clear with the Napster case (laughs) what that was. And it was the whole, you can't download, you wouldn't download a car. I mean, I would. (laughs) I mean, if I could, I probably would. Exactly. Let's be real. I would. (laughs) I probably would download a car. Yeah, I will say for my own sanity, because I have to, or my entire body will self-combust, we are not pro-piracy, nor do we torrent or steal any of these movies. They are watched um, either because I already own them, they're on a streaming service, or we pay for them to rent them because stealing movies is wrong and killing the industry. So don't fucking do it, you goddamn pirates. I don't do it with music either for the record i know we're just making sure. i was a kid who didn't have money and this is the only way i could do it well in the early two this is again and this is something i think we're going to revisit with just one of the guys is that sometimes when things happen at a certain 
period of time, there are a lot of things that are socially acceptable that you look back in hindsight and go, oh, that was not okay. But at the time, you don't recognize it to the severity of its of its wrongness um, as you do when you're older. And that is definitely going to come up. Uh, just One of the Guys just celebrated its 35th anniversary. Um, so there has been a lot of discussion about this movie, which is why we wanted to bring it up. So first thing we're going to talk about, let's talk about these main characters. So let's let's talk about Terry. Uh, Harmony, how do you feel about Terry as a character? I like Terry. Like, she's uh, an interesting thing that I noticed because almost the first thing I notice about every single one of these movies when we want visit them, because this is where my priorities lie, are what are the fashion choices and what's the soundtrack? Right, right. <laughs> but beyond that, I think that even like the subtlety of they dress her up in very pink and white outfits early on, mm-hmm. and as the movie progresses, her casual wear becomes more... I don't know, I guess masculine colors, less less inherently directly feminine attire. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice just symbolization of her shift in personality. But mm-hmm. I think she's kind of a bad bitch. Mm-hmm. At one point when uh, she needs to confront her, I guess it would be her English teacher or her writing teacher, whatever it would be, mm-hmm. uh, about not winning the contest that she was entering in in order to, you know, get a, what is a Sun Tribune a Sun Tribune internship. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. He is talking with another teacher about how, like, they're hoping some hot girl in their class flunks so they can keep staring at her. And she just basically ball busts him mm-hmm. to his face and then proves him super wrong. And he has this whole crying, like, oh, my God, you, you taught me so much through your article at the end of the movie, it's like, no, you're still a fucking disgusting pervert, but yeah, I love that be, she's a hard-ass about let's it. Let's be clear, that teacher should not be working around children. And no, neither should the other one. No, no way, shape, or form. And it is so disgusting when you look at the things that people could just get away with years ago of just teachers being fucking creeps and openly sexualizing their underage students. Um, but what's funny is that you bring up you bring up him learning so much from the article and her initial article, even when she submits it while posing as a man, the teacher at the other school also tells her that it sucks. So it is. He doesn't say it sucks. He says it's dry. He says it's dry. He says the writing's really good, but there's no personality to it. Yes, it needs more feeling. And because the teacher at the new school thinks he's talking to a dude, he's like, just because you're a man doesn't mean you can't have feelings and be sensitive <laughs> you're you're absolutely so she right. is a ball buster she's very like the the devil wears prada type of strong female yeah she's very much a you said i can't so now i have to prove you wrong which i do admire about her but it's very interesting to me that she needed to have this entire worldview transformation change as well just to become a better writer and that will lead into some theming that we can talk about later that it's 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 kind of like the inverse of those articles that you used to see constantly of dudes going i didn't think women got sexually harassed so i joined a dating site as a woman and you won't believe what i saw and all of the every woman in america goes yeah 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 how why, many, why how didn't many you just listen you to us <laughs> yeah it's right. the inverse of that basically <laughs> 
Um, so let's talk about another character here. Let's talk about, let's talk about Buddy. We sort of started talking about him, um, with his, his playboy room, but we didn't really dive deep in Buddy. So what, what's going on with Buddy? As somebody who, uh, I think is a little bit more familiar with this casual discussion talk, um, from a character like this, how do you feel about Buddy? Uh, okay. So I've complicated, but mostly positive feelings about bud and let me expound upon that okay go for it so so he sucks (laughs) he sucks a lot all he does is just like sexualize women and talk about how he's a teen boy so it's okay for him to be horny and being horny is actually like hell and all he wants to do is like lose his virginity Mm -hmm. to a girl and he's a fucking pest he is a sex pest Mm -hmm. We, we really must be going you have to get going i'm 15 years old in two years, I reached the peak of my sexual powers. The clock is ticking. I have to get jamming. Can't you hear what you're saying? Aren't you a little embarrassed? Nope. I'm horny. Horny will kick embarrassment's ass every time. That said, <laughs> he is he's a very accurate character because this is actually a rare circumstance we're not going to have very often where this is more tiptoeing into my teen world Mm -hmm. where this is all teen boy world and this is like, oh, I recognize some of these scenarios. Now, granted, they're overblown in that comical 80s sort of style. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually works to Bud's advantage in that, like, everything he's saying is, like, horrible, but it's almost cartoony to the point of camp mm-hmm. and it sort of blends very well with the queer themes that this movie has overall mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say I like his character I'd say he has very fun writing mm-hmm. because he's got some like really really good lines mm-hmm. my personal favorite is uh, all balls itch it's a fact <laughs> during the famous ball scratching scene I just I don't know. I I like their relationship to each other as siblings, and I don't, I don't know. I have I have a soft spot for him, not because I relate to him, but just yeah. I think I think he's fun and mostly harmless, just because of the vibe of this movie. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with you, and I think that Bud is. I I think you kind of nail it when you say his character is walking that line between oh, this is a really big problem, and oh, this is just camp. Like, he talks about sex so frequently and with such passion that I can't help but laugh at him. Like, do I know people from, you know, my own high school years and experiences that were kind of these you know, ultra pervs. Yeah. Were they ever to the extent that Bud is? No, they weren't. I mean, maybe just not in front of me because they didn't want to do that in front of a girl. They 100% do this. It's <laughs> called locker room talk and it's disgusting. Yeah. Okay. Good point. I've never, I've never been in the, the men's locker room for an extended period of time. Ooh, I was getting some flashbacks during this movie of my time in the locker room. <laughs> so, so a character like Bud, I think, yeah, he's kind of walking into that camp. And the other thing too is the movie is not on Bud's side. And that's something else that I think we'll talk about with a lot of the characters and a lot of the theming in this movie is that there can be characters that are quote-unquote problematic. There can be scenes and scenarios that are not good, like, you know, good trademark. 
that does not mean that the movie is endorsing those behaviors. The movie is not on Bud's side. The movie makes it very clear that they think he's a torpy wiener and that he's super pathetic for acting like this. Um, and that's really important to take note because I think it'd be really easy to write this movie off because, oh my God, that little brother character is such a pervert. And it's like, well, no, yeah. No, he's a simp. <laughs> okay, he's such a simp. But it's also like, the movie isn't trying to say, like, you should aspire to be like Bud. Like, they're like, no, don't act like this because then you're a loser. Don't do this to people. Honestly, the movie's not really on any of the guy's sides to an extent. The um, the obvious villain in this movie is not Bud. Like, he's inherently a protagonist, like, mm-hmm. in the very loose sense of that. But the real bad guy of this movie is Terry's boyfriend, Kevin, Kevin is the worst. Oh, Kevin's a dirtbag. And not like a perverted thing. He's like such a frat boy, one percenter Trump voter. Like he is a disgusting dude and I hate him. And I think that's where Bud makes his difference is whereas Kevin is very superficial and also sexualizes women. Mm-hmm. Like to the point where he complains that Terry cuts her hair and that she's not as feminine as she used to be just casually. And mm-hmm. that he thinks her writing is just a hobby. You know, a long time ago, I knew this girl named Terry. She wore dresses and makeup. She was hot. And one day, she disappeared. You know where she went? She's right here. You know, I'm still the same person. And is that all you care about, that I'm hot? No, that's not all I care about. Look, I'm under pressure. My article's due Monday. Terry, what is it with this article? I mean, it's nice to have a hobby, but let's get serious. A hobby? I didn't. I didn't mean hobby like like just a hobby. I uh, I meant I meant hobby like an important hobby. He is clearly like a sexist piece of shit, and his heart's in the wrong place. Bud, I think, actually has like a good moral grounding, and it's because Terry constantly keeps him in check. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big distinction to make. I think that you're completely correct on that, especially with like Kevin is Kevin is a garbage human being and he's an awful boyfriend. But what Kevin represents is this sort of ideal uh, that I think a lot of women think that they have like they have to be interested in that. I know in the last couple of episodes we've talked about like compulsory heterosexuality a little bit, but there's also this idea that gets implemented in the minds of young women that in order to be happy, you have to be with a guy that's sort of like this. And we see that mentality shining through with Terry at the beginning. I mean, her friend is asking her, you know, oh, all these guys are asking me out on Saturday, but I don't really like any of them. How should I, you know, how should I choose? And Terry's like, well, which one's the cutest? Eh, None of them are cute. Well, which one has the coolest car? And you see these like very superficial attitudes that she has. And I don't think that's because Terry's superficial. I think she's a high schooler who has been conditioned her entire life to thinking someone like Kevin is who she's supposed to be with. And she's never thought about what she actually wants or is interested in. Yeah, I mean, we discussed a similar thing when we talked about Clue in terms of how... Or Clueless. <laughs> yes. That's a very different movie. <laughs> you know, if only Clue was a teen girl movie. <laughs> if only. But um, no, when we talked about Clueless and how Cher is very, you know, superficial, but it's because of, you know, her, her conditioning mm-hmm. where she grew up, like how she grew up, 
the fucking Elton douchebag that she doesn't want to be with. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of the inverse in that sense. And Terry's very similar. We actually thought they were in Southern California, and I think maybe the movie's supposed to take place in there, but I guess it was filmed in Arizona. Right. A lot of times Arizona gets used in movies in place of Southern California because it's just cheaper to shoot there. Oh, absolutely. Um, And they look relatively similar. Um, So we have Kevin, who's kind of this shitty guy, and then the contrast of Kevin is our James Brown-loving Rick. What do you think of Rick? I think Rick cleans up very nicely. He looks a little bit much like a like an unkept wiener. <laughs> like, that's just our default term for, for guys who are a little too much of a, of a dork. But, like, when they start, he's, he looks fine. When they have a little, have a little shopping trip, mm-hmm. you know, Terry and Rick, mm-hmm. then he slicks his hair back, he wears a little nicer clothes, Rick gets his shit together. I think he's kind of like the middle ground between mm-hmm. Kevin and Bud in that he very much wants to get with women, he wants to go on dates, he wants to do all this stuff. But he also isn't a fucking, he's, he's not a shithead like Kevin. Right. He's, he's very much the, the, the perfect center in a way. And I think he's very endearing. He does his own thing. His thing is James Brown. And I'm heartbroken. We never get to see him do the teased James Brown dance. Yeah, that would be, ugh, that would be so wonderful. Yeah. But he only does it alone. So I guess the camera can't be there for that. Which is such a shame because I, I always felt that that would be such a really powerful and beautiful, like, oh, I trust you moment between him and Terry is if Terry actually got to see him dance. I'm assuming they, I assume they do that now that they're dating. Yeah, that's true. She probably, they probably are cutting a rug in that, that like weird college dorm bedroom that he's got going on in a house. Yeah, it would have devastated him because their whole relationship was built on a, on a lie and be like, I showed you my dancing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that could have been really sad and traumatic for him. Uh, yeah, I, I like Rick and I, I agree with you. I think that towards the beginning, uh, Rick is that character in a lot of movies that I say gets like the puppy response where you don't look at him and you're like, oh, I feel bad for this guy. or like, oh, what a weirdo. You kind of look at me and go, oh, like the same kind of, <laughs> same kind of response you see if you saw a puppy. Um, we we we'd call them like good noodles. Yeah, it's like oh look, look at that good noodle. Look at that good noodle. Like he's he's such a good noodle. He's also awkward because he's like the new kid in school. Like he only got there before Terry did by like a month or two. Yeah, so he's, and he hasn't made any friends. He's also sort of you know struggling to fit in. And he's clearly not really sure of himself. I mean, his favorite thing in the world is something that he doesn't talk to anybody else about. No. And it's it's saying something if you're feeling like the awkward kid in school when there is a kid at school who legitimately just carries around random amphibians at any given moment. I like the lizard guy. The lizard guy is so cool because he reminds me of a background character in Accepted. Like it's I think, very true. <laughs> I think him and like the I want to blow shit up with my mind kid would get along very well together. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the lizard kid. I'm just saying there there is something being said if you who are a relatively well-adjusted human are feeling bad about yourself and the kid next to you has lizards crawling all over him. It's perspective. Like, right. It's it's a very it's a very nice comparison here. <laughs> so I I would say these are probably our our main characters. And then we we have our we have our side characters. So we have Greg, you know, our our Cobra Kai ass bully himself. And Billy Zabka. Billy Zabka. Um and I think Greg 
he's he's every shit heel bully in an 80s movie he's blonde he's rich he's an asshole well yeah because he plays a shit bully in lots of 80s <laughs> right, movies that's just sort of that's just sort of his thing every day at lunch we get a very special treat from a very special guy a guy who has dedicated his life to building his body pushing his muscles to the very limits of human endurance why you ask why? Well, to be strong enough to lift tables and spill food. Great toe! He fits the role nicely. Definitely has, you know, some, some flavors of homophobia going on because immediately when when Terry comes to school, you know, he he calls her a pussy, thinking that it's a guy, but, like, so essentially is calling this guy a pussy. Well, yeah, that's um, how teen boys talk. Yeah, just right off the rip and, you know, making fun of his clothing, which Terry's clothing is so, uh, so before its time. Like, obviously it's of its time because it's very 80s, but this is exactly the sort of fashionable, quote-unquote, menswear that so many lesbians today are still trying to emulate. Oh, yeah. I, I the, the the aesthetic that Terry's rocking is, is new wave fashion. Mm-hmm. At one point, one of the girls is like, oh, he looks like the karate kid and dresses like Elvis Costello, right. which is super accurate. It's very accurate. But also, I love the idea that they are making a reference to the Karate Kid, which Billy Zabka's in, which means that there's some universe where there's an actor who looks exactly like him right. in this universe. How many times do you think Greg is told today, like, you look like Johnny from the Karate Kid. I get that a lot. Like, I feel yeah. like, th- like, I wish that that had been there somewhere, but I think that would have been, like, a little too on the you're, nose. You're gonna blow the fourth wall, like, completely right. down. <laughs> I think that it would just, it just would have been fun for me. Because I'm selfish. Um, so yes, we have Greg, and then we have um, baby Sherilyn Fenn playing Terry's uh, lady love interest at school, whether or not Terry wanted. Sandy. The love interest, Miss Sandy. How do you feel about Sandy's character? I think Sandy's a little bit of a one-note character. Mm-hmm. She is just thirsty. Mm-hmm. She is just craving and doesn't really seem to be defined by too much else, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that, that's about it. Yeah, I think I think Sandy has an interest in Terry because Terry is so much different than the other boys in school. <laughs> but I think deep down, Sandy is a little bit of a romantic. I mean, she gives she gives the kissing fish as as a gift, which I think is like a very romantic gesture. But for most of the bigger scene interactions that we have, it's when they're, you know, at the cave with the fire and she's clearly trying to have sex. Um, it's when she shows up at the house with the fish and she's clearly trying to have sex. Um, and then it's prom night where she leaves with Buddy to have sex. Um, so I think that she sort of kind of fills like a very specific role but at the same time you know one of the that that first encounter in the cave when terry says no she's respectful and she's like oh wait is is it because your penis is small that's okay like she doesn't shame terry for having a small penis it's like okay and yet she still tries to have sex with terry like at a later date so she's clearly not a size queen i can respect that 
It's a very I nice feel choice. Like that is gonna read poorly on me. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that it's nice because most, like most teen movies, whenever they talk about penises, like I mean, we, we it's in Clueless, where it's like I I really hate it when they you know curve like this. Like they are being super judgmental of penises, whereas in just one of the guys, you know, Sandy's like it's cool, and that's really refreshing to me, especially because this is an '80s movie. Yeah, I mean, that's really the big takeaway of a lot of the criticisms you could make of this film is that it was the 80s. Not to, like, excuse it, but to give context. Like, that's an important part of so many things that this movie does right and quote-unquote wrong. Absolutely. I uh, There's an expression that I really love that I'm not sure if Laverne Cox is the person who coined it, but I know that she's used it a lot. And it's called Loving Critically. And it's when there are movies that you recognize have a lot of learning that needs to be done. Um, Movies that did not get it right. Movies that, you know, in hindsight now are quote unquote problematic. But movies that you love despite knowing all of those things. Or, you know, sometimes we call them having problematic faves. And this is definitely one of those movies because I think that can lean into sort of sort of like the relationships that exist between these characters. And, you know, one of the strongest relationships throughout this is not any of the romantic pairings. It's Terry and Bud. It's the brother and sister relationship. And while, you know, Bud is doing these really kind things like trying to help her, quote unquote, pass, which we'll we'll come back to the the issues that I have with the word passing but trying to help her pass as a guy and that's like a really kind thing that he does he's constantly her alibi he's usually bailing her out of things even if he's you know messing with her at the beginning because pesky little brother's going to pesky little brother but throughout the course of the movie he's also you know making fun of her by calling her a transsexual um there's one point where uh, he refers to her as an it because, you know, she's she's doing this gender bent thing. And that sort of stuff in a 2020 perspective is really difficult to hear. And I think less of it being, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. Like, no, I believe that they say that. It's just so jarring to hear on my ears now versus when I was a kid. I don't think that that even registered to me. I mean, didn't to me either. I guess the way you look at it is that even 20 years, we're on 35 years since this movie Mm -hmm. now, but even 20 years removed from this movie when I would have been around the time I would have seen it, maybe a couple years prior, but I didn't have the words to refer to trans people, which Terry isn't, but for all intents and purposes, this is telling a trans story, Mm -hmm. particularly because unfortunately trans men don't exactly have a a big pool of stories to pull from, which is a, a whole different problem. But it's it's just how t- it's just how times are and how they've changed. Even since I came out as trans ten years ago, so much has changed. We don't use the word transsexual anymore, mm-hmm. which some people definitely still do, but they're usually of an older generation as well. Right. So you get into like the divide of how all of this works. Mm-hmm. Usually, like a generational thing, or even just an exposure related thing. Yeah, I. I think that's that's really important to keep in mind because, um, you know, like we said earlier, this is the, the film's 35th anniversary, which means there have been a lot of different articles going around, interviews with the director, interviews with the screenwriters, um, talking about this film and its legacy. 
And what's interesting is when the film first came out, um, the director, uh, Lisa Gottlieb, so this is a woman-directed film, um, which is awesome. Big fan of whenever this happens for teen movies. But a little she... biased, but yes. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, but she she was talking about when the film first came out, she was overwhelmed by its popularity within the queer community, namely the dyke community and with trans men. And even today, um, in all of these articles, what's interesting is you look in like the comment sections and you'll see people who are talking about seeing this film when they were a child or seeing this film when they were in high school and it sort of changing their life and being like, oh my gosh, like this is the first time that I saw, you know, what I wanted to be and what I wanted to look like. And then on the flip side, then you'll see people who, you know, perhaps are trans men of, of a younger age who transitioned before seeing this film. And now they're looking at it and they're saying, oh no, this is harmful and this is hurtful and I don't like this. And it's very important to recognize that the hurt and the harm that many trans people or many, um, you know, many members of the Dyke community may feel about a film like this existing is just as valid as those who saw this film as a sense of euphoria and saw this film as a gateway for them to explore their own identities and their own gender presentation. Both things can be true at the same time. Well, yeah, it's all, again, it all comes to back to perspective. Mm -hmm. We actually messaged some of our friends prior to recording this mm -hmm. after we watched the thing and we wanted to get some of our perspective from our, you know, trans mask friends, either non-binary or trans men, mm -hmm. on their thoughts. And honestly, they were mostly very, they were very positive. Obviously, yeah. there were some criticisms of like, oh, hey, some of this 80s gender humor is a little cringy, to which my response to that is, well... 80s gender humor is just your average drag queen humor right so i mean you can't really it's if you if you go to drag bingo and laugh for the 40th time when they say 69 at some point or when they make a sounds like me on a tuesday night ha, 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 joke you it's the context i guess is important but Right, but it's, the, it's, it's so the same much a part line. of it's it's the same kind of punchline, and it really just is a part of queer culture, even if it is lazy. Mm -hmm. But even with those criticisms, they said there were just as many genuinely funny and heartwarming moments to see. Mm -hmm. So even if you can you know critically look at this film and be like, oh, it's problematic because it hasn't aged well, there's still some really groundbreaking good stuff in it. And what's also really important I think to point out too is that this was not intended to be a trans film this is definitely supposed to be a feminist film talking about like the patriarchy you know Lisa Gottlieb herself even said I you know I wanted this to be high school tootsie like this is what she's trying to do um but the moments for me exist in these relationships that are incidentally lesbian um, mm -hmm. because obviously I'm not a trans person. I can never speak on behalf of the trans community or um, have any sort of insight as to like how trans folks may be feeling because that's not my fucking job, um, nor is it my place to do any of that. But what I can speak as is a queer woman. So when there is the scene where, you know, Sandy is... Uh, coming into Terry's room and she takes her 
her plaid shirt on and is wearing lingerie underneath because she's trying to seduce Terry, my brain, knowing that Terry is a woman who has a short haircut, that scene is now a lesbian scene. And that, mm-hmm. like, that did a whole lot for me as as a youngster. And then at the same time, when we were talking with some of our friends, um, I'm going to quote our good friend Carrie Buckley, who is uh, non-binary, sort of like Lean's mask. Um, but they were talking about the scene when Terry is wearing a suit for prom and going, oh my gosh, like that, that is what is the eye-opening scene for me. Mm-hmm. So this movie is playing with so many different gender themes at the same time and so many identity themes based on how these characters are interacting that this movie is incredibly queer and it can be queer for pretty much anyone well how do i look dashing my zipper's open that was the dashing part i'm obviously not a trans man but like so much of this translates to my experience is in some way like there is translatable things about how gender expression works and the 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 mystical art of passing Mm -hmm. because i've definitely gone on dates with dudes whilst fully being open on my dating profile Mm -hmm. who just straight up didn't know that i was i was swinging a bat (laughs) as i've heard some (laughs) old men refer to it (laughs) and what i really like about even unintentionally queer films like this, or unintentionally trans films even more so, is that with examples like something like Tootsie or Just One of the Guys or any number that we've had since the 80s, is that they're not necessarily good representation. I happen to think that both Tootsie and Just One of the Guys are very good representation of studying gender. Mm -hmm. Maybe not specifically the trans experience because they're basically putting on a trans costume Mm -hmm. in order to succeed in a way that a trans person fundamentally can't. Mm -hmm. And that's where probably the biggest issue that I have with movies like this go. Mm -hmm. Like someone cross-dressing with an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. But the way they explore gender, the way that, you know, you don't know somebody till you walk a mile in their shoes type of thing, it's not only interesting for cis people to see because they generally don't go out of their way to see trans films, but it's also a very good snapshot of how not necessarily the trans experiences or the queer experiences, but more so public perception at Mm -hmm. the time. Right. Based on how they're written, how they're treated, what kind of punchlines they're trying to make out of gender politics, Mm -hmm. it's very indicative of its era, and as we continue to go forward and representation gets better, it really cannot be understated how important it is to look back at things like this and see what happened and what did things right and what did things wrong and then, you know, carry the good stuff with you as you go mm-hmm. whilst acknowledging that this is this is kind of our history. Mm-hmm. This is how people were treated at the time. Because if you follow the, the big reveal, the, uh, the part where Terry comes out to Rick and... God, it's the best line in the movie, and it's such a problem, but I love it, where he doesn't believe that Terry's a woman, so then Terry just rips her tuxedo shirt open, and Rick's response is, where do you get off having tits? (laughs) God, it's such a good line. (laughs) Then, Then they go back out to prom, and they kiss, 
everyone gasps and it's perceived by everyone else who doesn't know now that, oh, this is, this is a gay kiss. Terry is a little twinky gay boy. And Rick is not ever treating it like homophobic. He's honestly very supportive prior mm-hmm. to Terry, you know, coming out not as, not as a gay man, but as a woman. The movie handles homophobia very, I think, authentically, particularly when this movie came out during the AIDS crisis. Yeah, so this movie is coming out in 1985, and you're, you're absolutely right, because, you know, the AIDS crisis was really starting to, I don't want to say pick up steam, that's like the worst way to refer to this, but it, it was... Wreak havoc? It was start. yeah, it was starting to like really, it was starting to really wreak havoc right around this time. So the fact that Kevin ambushes the prom, says some stuff to Terry... Rick reads this as, oh, you're gay. You know, this is, you know, oh, I'm Terry's boyfriend. So Rick's like, oh, okay, my my best friend's gay. That's fine. And, you know, Terry pulls Rick aside and is like, oh, I should have told you. And he's like, I get it. You're gay. And he's totally okay with it. Yeah. Like, he never once makes it, tries out to make it weird. So then when they do have this kiss in front of the school and everybody gasps, Rick's response is then like, you know, don't worry, anybody. Like, she's got tits. And I know that that's supposed to be like a funny and dismissive way of essentially outing Terry as, as a woman. But I don't know if, you know, you can out somebody who actually identifies in this way because she's wearing a costume. But this, this isn't Rick being like, hey, don't worry, like I'm not gay or like having kind of this like a gay panic moment. It's Rick just being like, I'm recognizing that everyone in here is probably freaking out because we're experiencing a massive crisis in the world around us. So of course everyone in the school is going to freak the actual fuck out. And I I've read a lot of people who've talked about like, Oh my gosh, that scene is so hurtful and it's problematic. You know, that school reacting that way that, you know, that could be so traumatizing for gay people. And it's like, well, yeah, that would be traumatizing for gay people, but presenting this um, authentically does not make it a, bad thing because no, just because something how it is. yeah just because something's ugly doesn't mean it's bad it, it's authentic and we we've talked about this in the past about you know growing up when we did certain words like you know the r word or people using the word gay as just you know normal teen vernacular oh that's extremely wrong but if you watch movies from that period that's that's correct lingo. That's... If you watch reality shows where people are taught, like, they're not scripted, they're just saying what they say, they are also using this sort of language. And yeah, it doesn't make it okay, but to deny that it was what we deemed socially acceptable and, like, we didn't call people out on it at that point, that would be, that's just being dishonest because that is how it was. And I think sometimes I, I get in a lot of trouble because... I am very much a, um, I'm on team, let's show how ugly things can be for people, um, especially for our community, because, um, so, okay, so here's a really good example. I was reading Am I the Assholes the other day. I am obsessed with that, uh, that subreddit. So the, the whole point of Am I the Assholes are people give you, like, a story about what happened and it is up to the commenters to decide if you or somebody else was being the asshole in the situation. And one of the questions was, am I the asshole for intentionally showing my brother homophobic footage for his own good? 
And I remember reading that title and going, yeah, you're the asshole. And then I read the situation and it's, you know, he's looking up for his brother who has recently come out to him and he wants to come out to his parents. And he's like, well, you shouldn't do that. Our parents are like super religious. They're very conservative. This isn't going to go well. And his little brother, who I think he's like 14 or whatever, starts showing him all of these videos of kids coming out to their parents and their parents being, you know, oh my gosh, I love you so much. It's totally okay. I support you. And, you know, giving these big hugs and it's this big emotional thing. And his brother's like, well, I want this. And it's this older brother having to be like, dude, it's not always like this. Sometimes it's really shitty and sometimes it's really scary. And our parents are super conservative and they might kick you out. And he just wasn't getting it. So he showed his brother a video, which was essentially a coming out story gone wrong, where a kid set up a camera thinking probably the same thing, that it was going to be great and that mom and dad were going to be welcoming with open arms. And in the video, that's not what happens. It's parents crying and yelling and calling the child, you know, an abomination. And like, it's, it's really hard, really, really hard to watch. Do I think there are probably better ways to go about explaining to this little brother, like, hey, it's not always good. Um, sometimes it gets better. It doesn't happen until after you leave your familial home. Yeah, there's probably better ways to do it. But at the same time, it's like, it's very idealistic of us to imagine living in a world where we are going to be accepted for our queerness or our gender identities um, and people are not going to treat us poorly because of it. But that's not reality. And, you know, if, if that means an entire high school gasps when what they perceive as two men kissing at prom happens, I don't see that as inherently bad. No, I, we're, we're, I mean... To draw like a real life parallel right now, there's a lot of a lot of debate, and it really shouldn't be a debate about updating history books in schools mm -hmm. because so much of America's history is ugly and racist and shitty, and people either aren't taught that, so they just think that we're changing history, which we're not. We're just merely acknowledging it, or they don't think we should be teaching kids ugly stuff like this. And you're, you're hiding the truth. So mm -hmm. by not either not acknowledging older films like this for authentic reactions like this, or by, you know, may, maybe you make a film set in the 80s now and people don't react like this, which there's obviously good examples. Rick is a really good example of supporting mm -hmm. his perceived gay friend. To paint that picture is just, it's wrong. You're Disney-fying it. Rather than mm -hmm. giving it the, the Warner Brothers approach of, showing old, really racist cartoons saying, hey, we don't want to bury our history. These were war propaganda films and they have a lot of racist imagery, but it's good to remember these negative depictions so that we can, you know, keep history in mind and move forward and improve. Or you could be like Disney and just bury it and never acknowledge it. Right. And that's... And I think that's one of the reasons why I love this film so much is because there's so much wrong with this film when looking at it from, you know, a 2020 lens or even in a 1985 lens because we do recognize that things that this movie is portraying, they're they're wrong. Like, they, they're straight up wrong. Calling, you know, Terry an it when she goes to answer the phone, that's wrong. That's That's harmful. But... Because it's accurate, I look at it and it's like, I don't, I don't want to hate on this film for showing things that are accurate the same way that something that I struggle with personally is the language in the Monster Squad. 
because I love oh, the Monster Squad. Monster Squad's so good. It's one of my favorite movies. But then I also have this duality where I recognize that they call each other, you know, an F like the F slur nonstop in that movie. But it's also a movie about like children in the eighties. So yeah, they obviously they did talk like that. So as harmful as it is for me as a young queer person to watch this and go oh my gosh, like I wouldn't have been able to hang out with the Monster Squad because I'm a little faggot and they wouldn't have wanted to be my friends. And like, that's hard for me to deal with. But at the same time, I also recognize maybe if these kids actually, you know, knew somebody who was gay, they probably wouldn't have been talking like that because it's it's unfortunately like... Um, I call it like being Republican politicianed, which is where they will be like the most staunchly anti-gay people until one of their kids comes out and then oh, yeah. suddenly it changes everything. And I think that's how a lot of these movies exist is that because they don't have any queer friends, they talk this way because you typically see characters not speak this way when they have gay, gay friends as characters. Honestly, I, I, I think Horace is probably gay. Yeah, I mean... Which, that, the, even the <laughs> subtitles do that film dirty, where even after he has his iconic, my name is Horace moment, the subtitles still call him Fat Kid. Right. The movie does him so dirty. <laughs> but um, but I think that's one of the things that, you know, just just one of the guys is, is doing, is it's authentic in its ugliness, but it's also really progressive with, you know, Rick's handling of Terry. And also, I mean, how everybody is sort of like, hey, whatever, um, when they do learn the truth. And when Terry goes back to school, to her her her, her standard school, I think it's like, what, like Pearl or whatever? Sure. Yeah, like Pearl High School. Um, you know, she comes back. She's got super short hair. She's wearing her, like, little Pat Benatar outfit of, like, you know, black and red, big, clunky belt. And she's still getting hit on by a bunch of people because they're like, oh, you're single now? What's up? And they're all trying to get at her. And she looks... that 80s equivalent (laughs) of as soon as a girl gets single, she gets bombarded by dudes on Facebook going, hey, I just saw you went through breakup. Oh, I'm sorry. If you ever need to, like, talk to someone, I'm here for you. (laughs) Yes, it's definitely that moment. But, you know, she's, she's not the 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 baby pink and white and pastel you know sort of like mall glamour look from the beginning now she's like a little bit more rough and tumble she's a little bit more you know androgynous um but she's got all of this going on and people still like her and you know it does do this big attitude change and yeah i do have some mixed feelings about you know people having to you know, walk a mile in their shoes to understand. Like, you shouldn't have to experience things firsthand to fucking get it. That's yeah, that's just me. But that's sort of the entire core of any of these types of movies. Yeah, but going go, walking a mile in the men's locker room will change you. <laughs> I'm just very fortunate that I never really had to do that. I had oh. to like I had oh. to go in there once in high school because there there was like an away game or something happening for one of the other sports and the locker rooms for like after school gym were not available so we all had to use like the men's locker room and we had like this very brief window before like I think it was like football or something was going to come in and use the locker rooms so we're all trying to like get ready as fast as possible and run out and just even the the passing between us and then the football players coming in, we were like, oh my God, they're animals. <laughs> just uh, everybody yeah. screaming and being disgusting. And we're like, I hate this. This is the worst. Oh, you don't even know the half of it. Our high school growing up didn't have uh, showers that worked. 
That's disgusting. Like, you didn't shower after gym because they, I think they didn't, maybe it was the water bill. I don't know what the reason was, but they took the handles, like the faucets to turn the water on and off. They took them off. That's so you straight so up gross. couldn't take a shower. So then it was just all of these dudes getting all sweaty from gym and they would just pile on like just tons and tons of axe. So you have like 30 guys just spraying axe and it's just a cloud of stank and chemicals. So then it's not really covering the smell. It's just mixing with it. So you smell like armpit and like misogyny. That's disgusting. Oh, it's so bad. That is my actual nightmare. We had, did your school have a pool? Oh, hell no. Oh, like... We didn't have money for a pool. <laughs> so our school, for whatever reason, had a pool, um, which meant that there was, you know, swimming aspect of gym class, which in order to get into the pool, you had to sw- you had to shower, and everybody also had to shower getting out of the pool, um, because otherwise you just reeked of chlorine all day. And it was always so frustrating, because it was one of those showers where you had to be constantly pushing the button in oh, order yeah, for the water Oh, yeah, because it only works out. for, like, 10 seconds or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, they had those at the Y. Yeah, so you're pretty much just holding this button, which meant that if you were somebody who was, like, self-conscious or was, like, really uncomfortable being seen naked, there's no way to, like, block your body. Oh, yeah. Because you need one hand to hold the button and one hand to, like wash yourself um so you would just see people like sprinting to try to get like in the corner of of the shower because of course it's like every movie it's that giant room of shower heads it's not like stalls this, this is not college um oh i i had that moment where there's stalls where where terry goes to gym class the first time as a boy mm-hmm. and the the bowling loving gym teacher is like gotta change put here's your clothes jockstrap and all whatever and Terry goes, oh, I'm going to go change in the bathroom stall because I don't want anyone to obviously, you know, see me naked because then the jig's up. And uh, Terry goes to the bathroom stall and there's no doors on the stalls. Mm-hmm. And that was my high school. We did not have doors on our stalls in the men's room because it was supposed to stop the guys from smoking, but it didn't. They just picked a bathroom that I think it had like four urinals and like two toilets and most of them didn't work. <laughs> And it also was the only one with a window, so they could just open it up and it would air out that way. But, oh, it was a nightmare. Because if you had to poop during school, you're just exposed. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, and men are little monsters. Because <laughs> we had, like, it was an older it was an older school, so we didn't have well-covered, like, fancy, shielded toilet paper things. So they would just pee on the toilet paper. That's disgusting. So then you wouldn't have toilet paper, because teenage boys are fucking sociopaths. <laughs> They're horrible. <laughs> I'm and then so the wi- and then the women's bathroom at like at the other end of the school, <laughs> it didn't have they had doors, but the stalls were only like five feet tall, so you could see over the top, and also the doors had little windows. That's in the, them. That's the worst idea. What a, I don't know what was happening. I don't understand. Like what's so frustrating to me, and obviously this is a tangent, and honestly I kind of don't care. It's somewhat on 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 point. When am I really going to get to talk to you about boy high school? This is true. (laughs) Something that always drives me absolutely fucking crazy is whenever we have these, all all these political debates about like trans people using the bathrooms in high school. All I can think about is, you know, maybe, maybe this wouldn't be a problem if you had things like doors on the stalls of your bathroom or you didn't have windows or you actually, you know, had funding put towards correct things that your students need not necessarily just a goddamn football field like it makes me so irate 
Um, oh, I had to. Um, I had to go back to my high school like four, five years after graduating because there was a big political stink um, about whether trans women, trans like the, there was maybe like four trans kids in the school of two thousand, whether they'd be allowed to use the bathroom of of their gender, mm-hmm. the one you know they want to identify as the correct one, mm-hmm. and then you had this this council uh, as a student board or the the board of education there mm-hmm. we go that's the word i want they had them all lined up and it was like a two plus hour meeting that was only supposed to go for like 45 minutes but there were so many people that had things to say and i was the last one to go mm-hmm. and i also i was sick that day it was like summer and i had like a 100 degree fever which now that i think about it in our in our pandemic world yeah. I don't know how I could have done that. I was I was drinking a lot of Dayquil to get through that, <laughs> but I had to because I'm like I'm the only trans person I know who graduated from this high school. I know more than you. I am the key witness in this. Right. So I had to go in and basically just listen to everything they were all saying, which ranged from concerned parent who doesn't know anything to just racist religious bigot, mm-hmm. the absolute like total gambit of conservatism, mm-hmm. and I. Pointed out everything they said, read it to filth, pointed out everything that was wrong about it, and afterwards I go to leave, and then suddenly everyone wants to talk with me, and they all want to argue their cases because the argument they all want to have is we're we're not bad people, we just we just we're just scared for our kids, and I say you don't need to be scared. Trans people are not to be scared of. Well, we're not bad people. Well, you're doing bad things. You're being literal ignorance. Not in, like, the political, like, oh, you're being ignorant. No, you're literally ignorant of the things you're talking about because you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they just kept bugging me and harassing me to the point where I wanted to slip away and take a swig of Dayquil because I was feeling like shit. And they just kept talking to me. I just was hit a point where I said, fuck it. And I just pulled it out of my bag and was just drinking it out of the bottle. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I want to go home. I didn't want to be here today, but you made me. Yeah, it's... Because, uh, yeah, you've told me that story before, but I'm glad that you said it on mic because I think that it's important for people to recognize that, like, how frequently, like, you as the trans person end up being, like, the token trans voice. And it's difficult because... It's not in the sense of, like, tokenizing because, like, that's all you're good for, but tokenizing in the sense of, like, they don't know anyone else. Oh, yeah. And that that can be really, really frustrating. The amount of times that I get asked to do things as, like, the, to- the quote-unquote token queer girl, because there are plenty of, plenty, plenty, plenty of, of gay men who are openly and working in horror, but there are not as many queer women so a lot of times I get kind of pulled on for these things and that's fine like I don't it doesn't bother me any but I also have that question in the back of my mind of like you know this is so like so emblematic of like who is allowed power who is allowed access who is allowed to be given attention because if if more people were allowed then you know we wouldn't have to tokenize the one person that we know um so off of our tangent. So we, we, went, we went on a big old swirl we about gender. Big old swirl. Well, you know, what, you know that's what this movie is. It is, and there's a lot to discuss. Honestly, there's just a lot to unpack, and I wouldn't mind going on more tangents in general like this yeah, in the I future think... about films, because I think that's the more interesting thing to discuss. And I think that it's, it's necessary, because that's the, the beauty of film is that they can spark discussions like this 
be between people who've watched the films because obviously you know we watch this we recognize that we we can't just have our own thoughts and opinions we need to like check in with some folks and when we did you know it, we were pleasantly surprised that we had similar responses um but had the responses been completely different you know that also would have been equally as valid and you know we would have brought that to the table as well yeah having a discussion with someone and only listening to find out if they have the same opinion of you is a bad bad methodology yeah you need to have you need to have discussions and like there's a difference between having discussions with people who are just like outright never going to see things from your perspective like i i'm at the point now where it is a waste of energy for me to try to like argue with Trump supporters. Like it's just, it's just not fucking useful of my time. But if I'm talking like, you know, film discourse with somebody and I'm only paying attention to like the things we have in common, then like I'm missing half the discussion. Oh yeah. Well, what, what's that supposed to be? It's like you gush over the things you like and then you go, I agree. Right. And then the conversation kind of ends. Like, Seeing different perspectives or at least entertaining different ideas on a subject is, I mean, not, not politically, like that's not what I'm talking about, but like Mm -hmm. purely like like entertainment reasons as an example Mm -hmm. is so much more stimulating of a conversation. And I'm sure it's probably more interesting to listen to for the sake of a podcast. (laughs) Well, it's also important for, it's also a great way to learn because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know shit about shit. You don't know shit about shit unless you, unless you ask questions or you hear from perspectives and see see things through through eyes that you you know that you don't have and that's not to say that we should all have to you know live as each other and walk a mile in each other's shoes to get it it's like no just listen to each other yeah and then then movies like this don't have to exist but i'm glad they do (laughs) i know exactly exactly so uh our our last sort of topic that we like to cover is is one of girlhood and this one i think is like really complicated in a lot of ways but i'm curious um what sort of theming do you sort of take away from this um, as far as its relationship to girlhood? Or, I mean, if you want to talk about relationship to transitioning or anything remotely connected, um, how how does this film connect with you? As far as how girlhood goes, I mean, this film obviously runs does everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it covers all of the subjects of what girlhood could be from super pink, flouncy, Barbie stereotype, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's fine, to very butchy uh, dykehood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also fine. Which is also fine. It does everything. So as far as how this movie discusses girlhood goes, it's really just doing what feels most comfortable mm-hmm. to you. And that's that's really the takeaway as far as like outward expression goes. There's definitely a topic of passing that I know you want to dip into and I have a lot of thoughts on, <laughs> but I guess it's just, it's a complicated thing. This movie does so many different things as far as representing womanhood goes, because Terry is both a stereotype and not a stereotype, mm-hmm. and there's so much going on. I don't really know how to encapsulate that, honestly. That's okay, and that's... Uh that's kind of part of this is that sometimes we watch things and we don't have a 
a, a palatable sort of response to it. It's just sort of that feeling that we have. And yeah. that's definitely okay. It's a positive feeling. <laughs> I know glad, that much. I'm glad that it's a positive feeling. In the feeling. heart of hearts. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that you brought brought things back up to this discussion of, of passing because I do think that that's something that, you know, we, we need to talk about. There is this understanding that in order for Terry's quote-unquote experiment to be successful, she has to believably pass as a as a guy at this new school and whether or not this movie intended to this is probably one of the biggest parallels that can be drawn to the experiences of trans and gender non-conforming people and it's this idea of passing um, so, so frequently when people are either outed as trans or when they transition, there is a huge emphasis on whether or not they can go stealth, whether they are undetectably trans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is in and of itself extremely troublesome, um, because when we put this humongous emphasis on this, then when it comes to cis people um, and how they how they treat trans and gender nonconforming people, um, the emphasis then becomes on appearance and aesthetic and not on the human. And I know for me, you know, for for the most part, like I identify as a cis woman. Um, I'm frequently, I guess, clocked or, you know, targeted or whatever you want to say, um, as somebody who's non-binary, gender non-conforming, and I'm frequently assumed to use they, them pronouns. And when that happens, I tend to not correct people, um, not because I'm trying to co-opt an identity that is not my own. Um, it's more so because I, I don't really have any particular claim or, I, I guess I don't care as much about how people view my gender identity um so it really doesn't bother me if people get it wrong but that's you know that's my journey that's my personal journey but for the most part like I I am absolutely you know presented as and perceived to be a cis woman by the majority public and that's fine um I'm not I was like but (laughs) but I also recognize that I have a privilege that can be turned on and turned off in regard to the public perception of gender identity because if I'm alone, I'm typically assumed to be some flavor of queer or for the those that are just, you know, kind of stupid, um, uh, I'm just a hipster. You know, I have, I have half a shaved head. I wear extremely gay clothing. Um, no, you're just goth. <laughs> Thank you. You wear e-girl clothing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but no, people either assume like I'm some flavor of queer or that like, oh, maybe they're just a hipster. Um, but if you're with me, then that changes everything. Because not only am I now very visibly and unmistakably a lesbian or, you know, a woman who loves women, um, but then people are very confused because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lesbian with a, with a trans wife. And I mean, we were even watching stand up last night where the opening setup of this of this woman's stand up was about how she was a lesbian. And it's all about how she realized that she was not a lesbian the first time she ate pussy. And it's like, hey, genitals, like, don't really make your gender. Like, I understand people who have genital preferences, but like, 
you not liking dick does not inherently make you gay, just as liking dick, like, just as a woman liking dick does not inherently make them straight. So when I'm with you, that privilege that I have of being able to sort of coast as maybe just a hipster goes away. Oh, I fuck your shit up. You fuck my shit up. So now I'm not only gay, but I'm also gay with a trans partner because the unfortunate reality, spoiler alert, uh, there are still plenty of people in the LGBTQ plus community that do not understand how... Uh, cis and trans lesbian relationships can exist because of da, 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 the emphasis that we have on genitals. Um, so those are, I guess, my feelings on on that. And that's why I, I fucking hate passing because it shouldn't be that way. I should not have a privilege that I can turn on and off, but I do. And it's extremely frustrating. You got it all out of your system? Yep, because my... Feel better. <laughs> I feel better because my thoughts on it are nowhere near as important or... Um, as worthy of merit as yours because I'm whining about something that is such a non-issue or should be such a non-issue whereas you have it a thousand times worse than I do and I I'm I'm not asking (laughs) if it's you're out of your system to condescend (laughs) to you I'm just checking in yes I'm fine okay (laughs) I just want to be clear (laughs) I just have a lot of feelings about it all right well as far as my relationship with passing goes like some pe- to some people I pass, to some people I don't. Being six foot three certainly doesn't do me any favors, but, you know, shit happens. Mm-hmm. My issues with it as far as the everything is that cis women are judged based on their looks. Mm-hmm. People can pretend it doesn't happen, but it totally happens. Tons of studies have been done that says the general public treats people that they think pr- are pretty differently, you mm-hmm. know. Sometimes women treat other women poorly because they think they're ugly, or sometimes they think they treat them poorly because they're pretty. They think they're prettier than them. Men will treat a woman better if you know he wants to fuck her. There, there, there's definitely an aesthetic value to people. Mm-hmm. And with trans people, you now not only have to deal with the value of your aesthetic. But you're being judged essentially whether or not you look cis. Mm-hmm. That is your value. Not, oh, hey, you don't have to worry about fashion or hair or, you know, all of the tiny aspects of it. You have to work, worry about essentially your identity. Mm-hmm. And if your identity is not in sync with what we think it should be, then you are discredited no matter what. And that's unfortunately usually a genetic problem. Right. Like, for example, I could potentially pass better if I wasn't giant. Like, I know several women who are my height, you know, who are cis, but it's definitely a, a key thing where people pick up on that and go, mm, you stand out in a crowd, now I'm going to take a closer look at you. Right. And it, I, I don't begrudge it. I don't care that people know that I'm trans. I've had discussion with other trans women in the past about well, do you see yourself as trans or do you see yourself as a woman? And I say to them every single time, I see myself as a trans woman and they're usually aghast. They go, well, how, well, I don't understand that. Don't you want people to just to, to validate you or, or see you as a woman? And I go, they can see me as whatever they want. They want to. I, I can't change their mind. I would just rather be a trans woman because having those people exist and being representatives matters. If I did everything right and played all my cards right and maybe got some expensive-ass surgeries to look more cis and passable, I could go stealth and no one would be any the wiser. 
I don't want to do that because even if I am the token trans person, oftentimes that still matters because my existence is giving representation for people who don't have anything else to go off of. This is very Alexis Arquette on the surreal life of you. You know I love her. I know. <laughs> We've been rewatching The Surreal Life <laughs> as of late, and that show is barely a show. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's definitely a big part of, you know, Alexis makes that point very frequently. She's like, no, I'm a, I'm a transgender woman, and this is who I am. And she's like, you know, I don't, I don't want people to think that, like, I'm trying to, like, trick them or something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what it comes down to is there's, there's also this this weird thing of trickery, which is why this movie, you know, is a critically loved film. This is a film that you love critically because it does kind of deal with that, with this idea of like, Terry is essentially tricking this whole school because this isn't her identity. This is a costume for her. She mm -hmm. is cross-dressing. Um, She's a trap. Yeah. I mean, that's... If we're, if we're going to go with kind of like I the... mean, she, she's not a very successful trap because she's not trying to bamboozle Rick as a dude because that wouldn't work out very well. Right. Because he's not into dudes. He's not into dudes. But, yeah. you know, she she's, she's a trap who's not exactly channeling her trappiness in the best direction. Yeah. I mean, and it's also important for us to recognize that, like, there are plenty of people that really despise the word trap yes harmony is not one of those people no <laughs> i mean it's in her it's i think her, it's so, i think it's funny it's in her social media handle um i've had people ask if i'm a trap and it's hilarious <laughs> so so that's sort of what this this movie is playing with it's playing with a lot of these gender social constructs um and it's doing it i think well before its time um, or before the time that this became sort of like, I don't know, fashionable to do so. Um, and I, I'm pleasantly happy that a film like this exists, but you know, again, I'm reading it from somebody who, you know, when I was younger, this was, oh, there's like lesbian stuff in here. And oh, like, yes, of course, like the patriarchy is terrible and look at her, prove it prove it true. That sort of stuff, you know, really resonated with me. Um, but I also recognize that there are a lot of deeper elements going on that I couldn't possibly begin to understand that experience. Yeah. Maybe it's just that I have a huge soft spot for problematic faves. Mm -hmm. I find them so much more enthralling and interesting than the, 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 the play nice ones. Mm -hmm. Back when I was, used to go to the um, LGBT community center in the area when I was much younger, one, they had a giant Trans America poster and they pra you know praised that movie for its positive portrayal of trans women, which eh, is fine. I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna be honest, I kinda, I'm kind of not into that film. But a lot of these critically acclaimed things that are good quote-unquote representation of trans women I think are so much less stimulating I find them less interesting because they are a, a sanitized version of the queer experience because mm -hmm. it's usually written to appeal to straight people usually as a form of tragedy that's where you get stuff like the Danish girl or Dallas Buyers Club or mm -hmm. anything that's been coming out now a, a joke that you and I have made several times is that if the movie Tropic Thunder was now came out now, the character of Simple Jack would not, you know, be Simple Jack. They would be a trans person. Right. 
because that's because that's, that's the Oscar bait. That's the new trend of of Oscar bait is no longer our you know, neurotypical folks playing characters that are atypical. They're now playing trans characters. Yeah, which I think we've finally kind of washed that out. I think Dallas Buyers Club may have been like the last thing of that to happen. So hopefully we're past it, but I wouldn't count it out. It, It always comes back. But I think that there's just something so much more interesting about discussing these sloppy films Mm -hmm. maybe it's just that the first r-rated movie i ever rented was sorority boys (laughs) and to an extent that is just a version of this story i mean you're not wrong it's like if you took this story and just you know made it a crappy gross out frat boy version then it's it's, it's kind of the same thing if you take sorority boys and never been kissed and smash them together, you get just one of the guys. Oh yeah, and I'm way less irked about this movie than Never Been Kissed because because <laughs> that that teacher is just like, oh, I thought you were like 17, and now it's now it's fine because you're not. Yeah, it's every that, we'll we'll that's on the list. That's yeah, we'll we'll get into that eventually because you love that movie, and I hadn't seen that one until you showed it to me yeah. either. <laughs> so yes, we'll we'll get there, but uh, as far as just one of the guys asking you to prom goes. And this is our first one where the movie really does end at prom. So yeah, like, I know. yay. We probably that. should have started with one that did, but oh well. Eh, whatever. Do, go so, ahead. <laughs> so, if, so if just one of the guys asks you to prom, are you circling yes, no, or maybe? And if you are feeling frisky, are you sending a message back? I absolutely will go to prom with this movie, especially if I get an uppercut Billy Zabka through a bowl of punch on a table. <laughs> Oh, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, I want to I wanna uppercut someone and knock him into, like, a wedding cake or one of those, like, <laughs> towers of, like, champagne flutes or into a punch bowl. Like, it just feels so, like, yes, I need to experience this once in my life. <laughs> I think that that is a perfect, a perfect dream to have for this movie. <laughs> well, that is it for us here on the... This ends at prom. You can follow us on social media. Our podcast Twitter is at this ends at prom. You can follow me, BJ Colangelo. It's just my name at BJ Colangelo Harmony. Where can we find you? I am at Velasa Trap Tour. Velasa <laughs> underscore trap underscore tour. Once again, we also want to thank the awesome super badass uh performers of our theme song the Sonderbombs, the best band to ever come out of cleveland you can find them on spotify Bandcamp, wherever it is that you get their music support them and thank them for allowing us to use such a kick-in song thank you for listening this has probably been my favorite one we've done so far movie wise and discussion wise and it can only grow from here right I'm just waiting for the day that we get one that you just fucking hate. I can't There's wait. There's a couple that are in my mind because <laughs> I already have seen them and I'm not a fan and they're big hitters. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.
all balls itch. It's a fact. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.